Father, that's our prayer this morning. We want to be wholly yours, we want to give you our whole selves. We want your spirit to take over our whole selves. And we need you, Lord. We're, we're broken, we're hurting, um, some, we're afraid, we're worried about so many different things. Our minds are sometimes scattered and our hearts feel divided. So today we recognize that and we, we really want the word of Christ to richly dwell within us. We want to see your glory. We want to behold the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ in the book of Luke. Holy Spirit, that is a work that you must do. Would you plunge us into the truth of the word about Christ and encourage our hearts today. Make us to believe the promises we find here. Make us to be challenged and be willing to repent uh, of the things that you show us in our lives. And Lord, it's my prayer that this message would not come in word only, this gospel that is preached, but would come with power, would come in the Holy Spirit and with abundant conviction of our sin and of our great Savior who has triumphed over our sin and ever lives to intercede for us. Cause our eyes to be lifted up as we come to the Word of God now. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. God created the expanse of the waters on day one in the week of creation. Because water is essential, is it not? Water is essential for life. And water, as God would create it, I think this is probably why He created it, is a magnificent symbol of the Christian faith. It really is. For just as water can make you clean physically... Sinners like us, defiled and dirty sinners like us, need spiritual cleansing desperately. But what needs to be cleansed? What needs to be cleansed? Where is the real defilement? in our lives. Please take your Bibles and turn back to Luke chapter 11. Our text this morning, will, as we continue uh, digging into the book of Luke, will be Luke chapter 11, verses 37 through 41. Pretty tough passage, and the woes upon the Pharisees are coming after this. So we come to an interesting section of Scripture in Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11, verse 37. Follow along as I read our passage this morning. Now when he had spoken, a Pharisee asked him to have lunch with him, and he went in and reclined at the table. Verse 38, when the Pharisee saw it, he was surprised that he did not first ceremonially washed before the meal, but 
The Lord said to him, Now you Pharisees clean the outside of the cup and of the platter, but inside you are full of robbery and wickedness. You foolish ones, did not he who made the outside make the inside also? But give that which is within as charity, and then all things are clean for you. Brothers and sisters, listen. Inward cleansing, inward cleansing is the heart of true Christianity. Inward cleansing. Are you too focused on cleaning yourself up and polishing your, uh, yourself up before your pastor and your parents and the people around you on the outside? Or are you really clean on the inside? Is the light within you darkness? Or is the light of Christ within you? These are the questions that Jesus is asking us. They're serious questions. We're going to look at this whole breakfast. I think it's breakfast. The Greek could go both ways, lunch or breakfast. I love breakfast, so we're going to go with an early breakfast morning dinner here. We're going to look at Jesus and the Pharisees' discussion on cleansing with three headings. If you have a bulletin, you can fill these in as I go. The first way this passage breaks down, and number one, notice first the shock. The shock is this. No Outward cleansing. That's the shock. What do I mean? Verse 37. Now when he had spoken, a Pharisee asked him to have lunch with him. And he went in and he reclined at the table. So, so a certain Pharisee, and this guy's got guts. After all that Jesus has said, <laughs> he's got guts. And he asked him, to have a meal, and Jesus is invited over and he takes the invitation. There's a lesson there. He takes the invitation of his enemies. And he reclines, and that day they didn't have, my wife will amen this, they didn't have the internet, they didn't have distractions. They actually laid down at the meal, reclined, and had fellowship together around a meal, and there's this conversation coming. And I'm not sure the Pharisees could digest their food during this conversation. It was a tough, some tough things that were said. But I want you to notice, when they invite Jesus over, this Pharisee, to discuss this further, they have heard a lot. I mean, remember the context. If you're joining with for the first time or online, listen to the context. The Pharisee, and this Pharisee, is not thrilled with Jesus. Although I think... Maybe something is going on in his personal heart. They have accused Jesus of casting out a demon that had caused muteness by the power of the devil. And Jesus says, let me, let me tell you, uh, you know, the problem is, if, um, if, you, if, there's a, if you're filled with the demon, that demon leaves and you clean yourself up and you clean your own house up and you look really squeaky clean on the outside and you got your house in order. Let me tell you that there's seven more demons coming and, the ins and you're going to be in a worse state 
than you are now. And then Jesus goes on to say, listen, it's not my fault. The light, my light, my message, my mission, my words, my miracles are shining brightly. In fact, the Queen of Sheba traveled a thousand miles to hear the wisdom of of someone who struggled named Solomon. And she was actually reborn at the testimony of Solomon. Her knees buckled at the wisdom of Solomon and she had to sit down, but there's something greater than Solomon here. And Jonah, I mean, Jonah the prophet running the other way, preaching to a disgusting people, the Ninevites, they repented at subpar preaching of Nineveh, something greater than Solomon is here. Something greater than Jonah is here. And then he goes on to the parable of the lamp. He's, I mean, he's getting kind of direct. He's kind of being nice. Let me tell you a story first before I get direct with you. Do you have eyes to see? Or are your eyes cloudy? Is the light in you darkness? Are you lit up by the Gospel of Christ? Is the light of Christ come in and shining its light into the dark corners of your life? This is the context in which this guy says, come on over for breakfast, I want to talk more. So Jesus isn't particularly popular at this point. They can't see the glory of God in Christ. They've got spiritual cataracts. So Jesus has said, this is a good opportunity. Jesus doesn't reject this opportunity. Jesus isn't going to be defiled by going over and having breakfast with His enemies. Neither are you. He accepts the invitation with the Pharisees. Now, who are the Pharisees? Now, you probably know, but let me just remind you. The Pharisees were the best of the best. 6,000 of them in Jesus' day. These are the religious elite. They're separate from the world. I mean, they are excited about the Word of God. They don't memorize it as well as Hadassah, but they, they memorize the Scriptures. They memorize the Word of They knew the Word of God. They knew the Mosaic Law. No one would question their commitment to the Word of God. They were exemplary Jews. They were the spiritual elite. They were the conservative Bible believers of the day. So the stage is set for quite a breakfast, a good theological discussion. I've had a number of breakfasts with theological discussions over the years. This breakfast didn't get started off very well. On purpose. The shock. No outward cleansing. Verse 38, when the Pharisees saw it, he was surprised that he had not first ceremonially washed before the meal. So they, and there were more than one Pharisee there, and the scribes were there too, and they were just shocked that Jesus didn't wash his hands before the meal. Not because of hygiene, that's his problem, but because he didn't, literally the text, baptize before the meal. That is, he didn't ceremonially cleanse himself before the meal. Now certainly in the Old Testament, if you go to places like Numbers 19 and verse 11, if someone touched a corpse, he'd be unclean. Or verse 12, that, uh, Numbers 19, verse 12, that one shall purify himself from uncleanness with water on the third day and on the seventh day, and then he'll be clean. But the problem with the Pharisees 
is that they had the Scriptures, but they went above the line of the Scriptures. And they added all kinds of tradition, all kinds of things that they could actually do to look good. And if you want to spin it positively, to help fence the law in. So if they do these things, they won't possibly fail to do these things. And these are the traditions, and they are actually recorded in what's called the Mishnah. This is the traditions of the Pharisees. And they were all excited about this oral tradition of the Jewish law, this extra-biblical tradition. And Jesus says, you know what? My conscience is held captive by the Word of God. Watch this. He doesn't wash His hands. He does it on purpose. Listen to the Mishnah about hand-washing. Are you ready for this? Quotes. This is from Yadim 2.3. Probably not something you're going to read this afternoon, but quotes. The hands are susceptible to uncleanness. And they are rendered clean by the pouring over them of water up to the wrist. Thus, if a man had poured the first water up to the wrist, and the second water beyond the wrist, and the water flowed back to the hand, the hand becomes clean. But if he poured both the first water, I don't even know what that is, and the second beyond the wrist, and the water flowed back to the hand, the hand remains unclean. If he poured the first water over one hand only and then brought, and then bethought himself and poured the second water over one hand, if he had poured the water over one hand and rubbed it on another, it becomes unclean. But if he rubbed it on his head or on the wall to dry it, it remains clean. Clearly they loved hand washing. I can't even keep up with that. I'd have to draw a diagram of that. A map. But they were shocked because Jesus was not ceremonially clean in their eyes. Jesus does this on purpose because He wants an opportunity to speak because He cares about the souls of these people and about the truth. And He goes into the darkness and He speaks. And this offended them. This was... We don't know in our culture. It's weird to us, but it's offensive to them. Let me give you an illustration. John MacArthur, right? We, preacher, right? Wears a tie. Preaches. So John MacArthur, bless his heart, he's called in before Biden to have a meeting with the president on, on policies. You think he's going to take up the offer? Yes. So imagine he has a one-hour meeting with the president, and John MacArthur shows up with shorts, flip-flops, and a San Diego Chargers t-shirt. You'd say that's impossible that that would happen. Maybe so, but it's shocking. It's a shocking thought. That's what, this is even just a portion of the shock they're feeling when he doesn't wash his hands. So we're not here to talk about etiquette and how to wash your hands before you eat breakfast. We're talking about listening to God's Word and staying on the line of God's Word and not going above or below the line of Scripture. In fact, what we're trying to talk about here for a moment is trying to sort out God's Word from your and from my legalistic preferences. They made sure everybody else, we wrote it, 
there are traditions, and we want to make sure everybody else follows our traditions. And that is called legalism. Forcing others to do the same when it's not the Word of God and judging them if they don't. And we need to reflect in this fellowship and outside, in the church, we do, we need to reflect if we're upset with others for the right reasons. Am I upset because my own code of conduct has been violated? Or even my own convictions if they're not found in the Word of God? They're the way I like to do it. The way I like to parent. The way I like to... You fill in the blank. Is this my preference, Jeff? Or is this clearly the Word of God? Riken says, quotes, when we get offended, we need to make sure it's only for things that God Himself truly finds offensive instead of just pontificating on the basis of our own opinions. End quotes. So, he does it on purpose. First, the shock. Here's the shock. No outward cleansing. Say it ain't so, Rabbi. Second, are you tracking? Second heading as we unpack this discussion about cleansing and we're going to get to the heart of it now, the subject. First the shock. Secondly, the subject. Outward cleansing, but not inward cleansing. That's the whole point. Here's the subject. Outward cleansing, but not inward cleansing. So I don't know if breakfast is served right now. They're probably eating and listening. Jesus' food is getting cold because He's going to do some speaking. Look what he says in verse 39. But the Lord said to him, Now you Pharisees clean the outside of the cup and of the platter, but inside of you, you're full of robbery and wickedness. Jesus says it's present tense. You're scrubbing and scrubbing. And I can just see him. He's laying there on his right side, his left hand. I can see it. He picks up a cup. You guys are scrubbing and scrubbing and scrubbing and scrubbing and scrubbing the outside of this cup. Is that really what's going to defile me if I drink from this cup, the outside? My gift is probably not hand washing the dishes. And ask my wife later. But if I'm hand, but if I'm hand washing the dishes, am I doing a good job if I just, you know, polish the outside, hope they look good? No, first clean the. I like coffee. We've got coffee cups scattered in strategic places. Sometimes there's just a remainder of indwelling sin in my coffee cup. Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. And it sits there for days, turns green. And you wonder, should I even throw out the cup? Can I salvage this favorite cup? The Pharisees, Jesus is saying, look, Inside of you is robbery and wickedness. In other words, 
inside of their heart, inside of them. It's unclean. It's dirty. It's the inside. It's their loves. It's their attitudes that are the problem. They're jealous of Jesus. They love money. They love a pat on the back. They love when people say, great sermon. They're filled with pride and they're filled with self-centeredness. They're filled with spiritual death and decay. A love of power. Selfishness and self-righteousness. And it's disgusting. And Jesus says, you've got to take care. We've got to clean the inside of the cup. I mean, he's using a different metaphor, but he, he was just talking about being the inside, being full of darkness instead of light. Now, what is the one word, this is a quiz, it's, what is the one word that describes when, when the outer expression might look real good, but the inward heart is full of darkness and defilement and disgusting? What is it? It is hypocrisy. That is the subject. You say, well, how do you find that in the text? Well, biblical interpretation tip, if you read chapter 11, you won't find the word hypocrisy ever. Chapter divisions are dangerous, aren't they, for biblical interpretation? Look at chapter 12, verse 1. Under these circumstances, after so many thousands of people had gathered together that they were stepping on one another... He began saying to his disciples, first of all, Beware the leaven of the Pharisees, which is... And you see the connection Then it truly is speaking the whole time about hypocrisy. And, and notice he doesn't just warn the, the false teaching Pharisees about hypocrisy, like it's only their deal, the false teachers. No, no. He's in chapter 12, he's talking to the church. He's talking to the disciples. And he's saying, you, you beware the leaven of the Pharisee. You watch out for hypocrisy. So I don't want you to just think about you know, works-based salvation preachers or some sort of false religion here. It is that, but it's more, it's us. This is a wake-up call for all of us about the nature of true Christianity and looking at the heart. Hypocrisy is when the outside does not match the inside. When your heart does not match your hands. Your lips. When your profession of Christ does not match your practice. It's hypocrisy. It's a warning to the church. To the disciples as well. Brothers and sisters, it's hypocrisy that's really shocking. <laughs> to think, we're so deceived to think that what matters most is putting on a show on the outside. It doesn't make sense even for business or radiology or name your profession. It never makes sense. It's always about that's the shock that we would buy into that. But we do. That the motivations don't really matter. Brothers and sisters, true Christianity is a religion of the heart. It's a religion of the heart. It's about loving God 
It's about your attitude. It's about your affections. It's about relationship. It's not jumping through a bunch of hoops. It's not playing these kind of games and rituals. God's not going to be mocked. Hypocrisy is missing the whole point of Christianity. The whole point. If your heart is full of darkness, if you're playing a game, and you think it's funny, and you don't love God, and you're trying to clean yourself up, you could be a, a hypocrite like the Pharisees, with only darkness within. Call that a capital H hypocrite. A capital H hypocrite doesn't have heaven in the future, just like the Pharisees, unless they repent. But they're small H hypocrites. Who, who's got the inside and the outside all figured out in this room? None of us. A small H hypocrite. Beware the leaven of hypocrisy, even as believers. We're struggling with hypocrisy, are we not? Well, okay. If you're bound and determined to take someone out to breakfast in order to fix them, you might be a hypocrite or struggling with hypocrisy. Or, if you try to clean up your language in front of somebody who might judge you, but inside when something bad happens, you're cursing away, you might be struggling with hypocrisy. If you say, I will not have sex outside of marriage. But you're lusting and looking at images you might be a struggling with hypocrisy if you're serving in the church and you're frustrated and you wish you could get more credit, you might be struggling with hypocrisy. It's all of us to some degree or another. Beware, believer, the leaven of hypocrisy. So, the shock, you don't even wash your hands. The subject, he says, no, hold on a second. Here's the, here's the subject here. When, when you clean yourself on the outside, but there's no inward cleansing. But right away over breakfast, I just the grace of Christ blows my mind. Right away, and we'll, the rest of the time will be spent on this last point. Right away, he gives them hope. It's crazy to me the mercy and grace, they just called him a devil. They're trying to kill him. He's there giving them hope. Number three, the shock, the subject, now he says the solution. He gives them hope. The solution is this. Listen, and this is so important. The solution, inward cleansing leads to outward cleansing. Okay? The solution, inward cleansing leads to outward cleansing. There is hope for hypocrites. If you, like I was for 27 years, put on a show before the, the professors and mom and dad and thought it was funny, almost got Christian character of the year at the Christian school. Chris and I, my friend, who's dead now, thought it was hilarious. Hilarious. Until God opened up my eyes so the truth shined in and expelled the darkness when I was 27 years of age. There is hope for you if you're clinging to your self-righteousness and your works. 
and want to offer that before God like the Pharisees and their hope for every Christian in here and every one of us is struggling so that the inner and the outer man are more and more congruent and we have spiritual integrity. Aren't we not struggling? There's hope. Number one, there's two avenues of hope here. Number one, look at verse 40. Two avenues of hope for the hypocrite. Number one, remember your Creator. Remember your Creator. It's for all of us. Look at verse 40. Maybe glance down at it. This is kind of an interesting verse that I've read by so many times until you have to preach it. Remember your Creator, you foolish ones. Did not He who made the outside make the inside also? You foolish ones, God is not fooled. Now, it's an interesting point. It's so simple that we read by it. But I'm not going to do that. Remember your Creator. Now listen. God made the inner man and the outer man. He cares about both. He's interested in both. He cares for the physical. He cares for the spiritual. He cares about the outside. He cares about your heart. God cares about all of you because He made all of you. That's what Jesus is saying. Didn't He create the inside and the outside last time I checked? Now, let me press this upon you. He doesn't just care about all of you. But if He is your Creator, if He created you, listen, if God created you, He owns you. You ought to serve Him. You ought to follow Him. If you buy the Lego set and make the Lego set, it's your Lego set. If He created you, He doesn't just care about the inside and the outside. He owns the inside and the outside. He's your cre- Remember your Creator, believer. Remember Him. Let's press this. God owns your heart. He wants your motivations. He wants your attitudes. He wants all of you. He wants your inner man. He wants to be loved. He wants to be in relationship. Yeah, He cares about the outside. He wants us. He wants faith to work itself out in love. But He wants your heart. You don't get to be a Christian and just give God Sunday morning and jumping through a bunch of hoops. He's not going to be mocked. He's your Creator. He's, he's not a fool. He created all of you. He cares about all of you. He owns all of you. He will take all of you or He will take none of you. That would cure our hypocrisy even as believers. We'd start to see it. God, You own my heart and my body. All of me, all of the time, number one, remember your Creator. Now this is important. Now listen carefully. Part of the reason we have accepted hypocrisy in the church and kind of ignored it is because of our theology. Now listen, this is a tricky point. And we 
as Christians, divide the external from the internal. And the reason we allow ourselves to do that is because we've divided, not us, yeah, we divided us external, external, put them into categories. You know the reason we do that? Because we divided the person of Christ. We think somehow that we can take Him as Savior, but not as Lord. Last time I checked, He's a whole person who has two titles, Savior and Lord, and you don't get to divide the person of Christ. So, we've prayed a prayer, we got our fire insurance, and because we've separated Him from Savior and Lord, we could separate the external and the internal. One, it's just both of them are just not, they don't make sense. He, own, he created all of you. He owns all of you. He wants all of you. It makes sense that if He's got two titles, He's both your Savior and your Lord. It's just who He is. It's silly to divide Christ and it's silly to divide you external and internal. And we've seen this all throughout the Old Testament. You didn't think I was going to say old. It's everywhere. God cares about circumcision. But circumcision is just the symbol. What is, what is the substance? Circumcision of the heart. Deuteronomy 10, Deuteronomy 6, everywhere. It's the heart. Or how about this? Remember um, David, King David. 1 Samuel 16, verse 7. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look at his appearance or at the height of his stature because I have... Re- Rejected him. Don't look at Saul. I know he's this and that. But I've rejected him. For God sees not as a man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the... And if we're going to have any hope to get saved, we've got to deal with hypocrisy. If we're going to grow as a Christian, we've got to put away the lie. We've got to remember our Creator. If He... He wants your love. He wants all of you. And if you're truly a Christian here, you may not have heard it taught before, but it is reality for you. You have submitted your whole life to Christ. Now where does this start? What is the hope for a hypocrite? Number one, remember your Creator. But number two, the only hope then is regeneration of heart. The only hope to be a real Christian and not a hypocrite is regeneration of your heart. The only hope, and that's what makes sense of verse 41. You talk about a tough verse, but now I think it'll make sense for you. Look at verse 41. But give that which is within as charity, and then all things are clean for you. Now put on your thinking caps. We're going to figure this out now that we set the context. Jesus has given them hope right before he kind of gets real clear and exposes the hypocrisy with these famous woe, 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 right? The the six woes. Woe on you, Pharisee, for you do this and you do that. He's going to give them hope. Here's the answer right here. I wish someone would explain this to me before age 27. Wasted 10 years. Listen carefully. Regeneration of heart is your only hope. It's... Charity there is literally giving alms. But give that which is within as alms, and then all things are clean for you. Notice that we need to give from where? 
Look at verse 41. I want you to see this. But give that which is... Give that which is within as alms. It starts with the heart. You've got to be reborn. You've got to have a new heart. In the last picture, you've got to have eyes that aren't full of spiritual cataracts that let in the truth of God's Word so that it lights you up on the inside. You need to give alms. Is giving alms? You don't need to give alms. Just have Jesus and you don't just live for yourself. Is that what the text says? No. No, go ahead. Alms are good. Tithing is good, we're going to find out. But it comes from the heart. It must come from the heart. You give from within as alms. And so, he's saying, look, here's your problem. You might give money to manipulate people and to get more money and to put people under your thumb spiritually and to get pats on the back and all kinds of reasons. But you know what God wants out of you? He wants you to have a new heart so that your heart has been opened so now you have been shown mercy in the Gospel and so you can give away mercy to the poor. You've been shown grace in the Gospel. Your heart has been changed. You've seen the glory of Christ and so you can give it away. You've been loved by Christ and so I will love others from the heart. It starts with a new heart and it moves outside from there. That is the key. Have your eyes, which is a metaphor for the heart, have your eyes been opened to see the beauties of our Lord Jesus Christ? Have you ever seen Him and behold His glory? He is who He says He is. He is the fully God. He's fully man. He's alive right now. Have your eyes been opened to your sin? I mean, robbery and defilement. Have you seen it? Yeah, that's me. I am I'm dark within. I'm defiled. I am in trouble. I, need, I can't clean myself up and present myself before God. I can't work my way out of this hole. I need Jesus. I need Him. And if that has happened to you, it doesn't matter to me that you don't know theologically what that's called. I'll teach you. You come to Jesus, I'll tell you why you came when you get here. I'll tell you why you came. God gave you a heart to see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. To hate your own sin. To begin to love Christ so that you would bend the knee to Him and trust in Him from a new heart. And when the eyes are open to this truth, you see in Him, oh, all of my sins can be washed away. Past, present, and future. You see in Him a perfect righteousness. You realize He's willing to give me His perfect righteousness as a robe so I would stand complete in Him. He's willing to give me a new heart and to change me from the inside out. And I'm telling you, if you've been given that heart, that inward cleansing of the heart, that will lead to the outward cleansing of helping hands. And if you're helping all kinds of people to try to present your help before God as the reason that you get into heaven, then you are a big capital H hypocrite. A Pharisee at heart. Just like I was for 27 years. It makes sense of so many passages in the Scriptures. 
like Galatians chapter 5 and verse 6, speaking of external circumcision. <laughs> Galatians 5 verse 6. This is a shock too, by the way, to the poor Jews. Galatians 5 verse 6. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. Yikes! But faith working through love means everything. Everything. So I would ask you today, I, I, I want you to actually let the light of the truth of this passage shine in your hearts. Listen. Stop playing games. Do you have a new heart? You say, how do I know? Your affections. Do, do you love Christ? Do you have a desire for His truth? Do you hate your sin? If you, if you can't... I mean, you know what it is to love something. I mean, you love baseball, don't you? Love your wife, don't you? We know what it is to love something. I'm asking you. I'm really asking, do you love Him? Have you seen His glory? I recognize, you know, for all of us, hypocrisy is a real and a struggle, but here's the difference. We hate it when, when our heart doesn't match what comes on the out, don't we? I mean, we're like, oh Lord, how, where did that come from? Oh, cleanse me. Change me. Right? There's a struggle now. There wasn't before. Only when we got caught. There's a battle going on. That's a sign that the Spirit's within. That we're, we want Him to have first place. We want to be holy. We want to, be loved, to love Him more. To be filled with gratitude and thankfulness. So, cultivate your hearts. Love Christ. Be filled with gratitude, believer. Remember your Creator. Remember the mercy that has come to you that day when God opened up your heart and forgave you of your sins. And as you, as you dwell on who Christ is and you're focused on the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ, you will be changed from glory to glory in His image. You will begin to look more like Him as it flows from a heart that has been filled by His Spirit and changed by His power. So, look, I'll be honest with you. You've got to start with the heart, and that means you, Christian. Stop cleaning yourself up without dealing with your heart. It's not going to work. And that, that makes sense of, of what queen, the Queen of Sheba might have heard from Solomon, Proverbs 4.23. Watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life or the issues of life. Watch over your heart. J.C. Ryle, 175 years ago, said this, Forever let us bear in mind that the state of our hearts is the principal thing that demands our attention. If we would know what we are in religion, bodily washings and fastings and gestures and postures and self-imposed mortification of the flesh are all utterly useless if the heart is wrong. External devoutedness of conduct, a grave face, a nice suit when you preach, I added that one, and a bowed head, 
and a solemn countenance and are all abominable in God's sight so long as our hearts are not washed from their wickedness and renewed by the Holy Spirit. Let this caution never be forgotten, end quotes J.C. Ryle. Water is indeed an important symbol in Christianity. It is. May we never forget that it's the symbol. Whether we baptize our hands in water before we eat breakfast, or whether we baptize our whole body up front in this church, the substance, the real deal, is that we need to be baptized by the Holy Spirit and plunged into the finished work of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. United to our head. Our hearts being cleansed by sin. Acts chapter 15. A new spirit within. A heart of stone being made a heart of flesh. Ezekiel 36. What matters is that Titus 3 has happened to us. But when the kindness of God our Savior and His love for mankind appeared, He saved us. Now listen, not on the basis of deeds, which we have done in righteousness, but according to His mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by His grace, we would be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Inward cleansing from sin. That's the heart of true Christianity. God wants your heart, believer. God wants your heart. The breakfast conversation has just begun. Jesus will continue to unpack hypocrisy in the shocking verses that follow. Good time to come to the Lord's table. Let's pray. I've got to have the musicians and the men who are serving come forward as we prepare now to take the Lord's table. Father, we hear a sermon like this from your word. We hear your, this is your message that is applicable today to us. Lord, we honestly are undone because we know good and well we're still small-age hypocrites. We know that there's the remainders of dwelling sin within. And we're still at war with the new man and the old man. And Lord, we are so frustrated, Lord, when we lack integrity spiritually, and we just, but we're frustrated, Lord. We need you. And when we come to this truth, we're kind of in the same place as maybe someone who's coming to the truth about hypocrisy for the first time. We're at the same place. We need you, Jesus. We need you. We need thee every hour. We need not our own works to present 
our entrance into heaven, we need the work of another, the life of another. We need the death of Christ for all of our sins. We need the life of Christ as our surety and our perfect righteousness imputed to our account, standing only in Him. We need a new heart. We need you, God. We need you today. And so we come in our neediness to the Lord's table. Help us now as we come. We ask these things in Jesus' name.